Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. Today's another AMA episode, that is, Ask Me Anything. I'd love to answer your questions, and if you have a question you think is going to be of broad interest, send it in. I'll answer it live on the air. Send your questions to victor at victorjm.com. That's victor at victorjm.com. Well, this question comes from Maheen, and he says, with all of this uncertainty in the world, I'm fearful of the inevitable bail-in from the banks. We're always told to keep dry powder ready for future opportunities. Is there another institution where one could safely store easily deployed currency? Well, Maheen, this is a great question. You're correct in stating that banks have changed the way the capital stack works in recent years, and these changes have been implemented in many countries around the world to protect the banking system. In reality, it's more to protect the public purse from having to bail out failing banks. In order to assess the risk, you need to look at the risk of an individual institution as well as the risk to the overall financial system. There's a lot of counterparty risk in the financial system. Counterparty risk is when a liability on one balance sheet appears as an asset on another balance sheet. So even if you deposit funds with one bank, there's no guarantee that you wouldn't face a domino effect or a problem in one financial institution would cascade and affect multiple institutions. Most people choose their bank based on convenience of the branch location to their workplace or their home address. Some people choose their bank based on the free toaster that you got for opening a free checking account. Some customers will comparison shop the bank's fees and choose a bank that offers a lower fee structure. But virtually nobody looks at the financial strength of the bank and the bank's balance sheet. And the fact that you're even asking the question puts you among the fraction of 1% who even know how banks actually work. Banks keep looking for ways to increase their leverage, and the higher the leverage, the more profit they can make with other people's money. Banks are generally required to maintain deposit reserves. These reserves are to serve as capital to handle loan losses. The statutory reserves in the U.S. for banks are 10% of deposits, but once they run out of depositor funds, they can't lend any more money. So banks typically have resorted to recovering loans by selling those loans into the bond market through a bond offering. Those debt obligations are simply the packaging of loans into a derivative security and selling them on the open market for those derivatives. Those mortgage-backed securities were in fact one of the causes of the near failure of the banking system back in 2008. So in the wake of 2008, financial regulators made a number of changes, including the so-called stress tests, and they also changed the hierarchy of payments should a bank fail. The U.S. banking system at that time increased the amount of insured funds in a bank account from $100,000 to $250,000 in the wake of the financial crisis. The first line of defense against a bank collapse would be the FDIC protection. You would be protected for the first $250,000 in a bank account. It's the funds in excess of $250,000 that would be a risk in the case of a bank failure. Now, the bail-in system changed the classification of depositors in the bank to that of an unsecured creditor. And actually, once you deposit your funds with the bank, those funds are no longer yours. They are now the bank's funds. You have become a creditor of the bank. The most visible bank bail-in that I'm aware of took place back in 2013 in Cyprus. In that case, accounts below 100,000 euros were unaffected. But 47.5% of all bank deposits above 100,000 euros were seized and used as part of the rescue package. The simplest defense against the risk of a bail-in is to diversify your funds through several bank accounts and across several institutions, each having the $250,000 FDIC protection. Now, there is one significant change to the banking system since the start of the pandemic, and arguably it has weakened the system. 
depository institutions that were required to maintain deposits in a reserve bank account to satisfy those statutory reserve requirements are no longer required to do so, and they can use all of that additional liquidity to lend to individuals and businesses. That was one of the rules implemented during the pandemic, and according to the Federal Reserve website, there are currently no plans to reinstate the reserve requirement. They are leaving open the possibility of adjusting reserve ratios if the conditions warrant. That means that one of the checks and balances that would have put a limit on the amount of money printing has vanished. So Mahin, if you're looking to keep large sums of capital in reserve, and by large sums I mean millions of dollars, I recommend you spread the risk among several institutions, across several bank accounts, and perhaps in several different entities. You've got to remember the FDIC coverage covers you per depositor, not just strictly per bank account. So spreading the cash among several entities might be important if you want to keep the funds with the same institution. I also like the idea of keeping a fair amount of liquidity in the form of physical gold. Gold can be quickly converted to cash, and if you don't want to sell your gold, you can use the gold as collateral to borrow against it at very low interest rates. I want to thank you, Maheen, for an awesome question. And for the listeners at home, have a fantastic rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.